welcome to the HSCT Warriors Podcast, bringing voice to the journeys of HSCT Warriors worldwide. I'm Dr. Jen Stansberry Koenig, or Zen Jen, moderator of Meaningful Conversations and convener of community. As we continue to grow the HSCT Warrior community, illuminate the invisibilities of autoimmune disease, recognize the possibilities of a future free from disease progression, connect through our shared experiences, and advocate for an inclusive society. We're so glad you've joined us. I'm excited to welcome Denise back to the podcast for a follow-up interview. You um, just finished your two-year follow-up, right? I did. I went to Chicago in September. And so happy Um, two-year anniversary, first of all. I mean, happy birthday. Thank you. Um, It was the first time out of all the times I've been to Chicago, which I believe that was my seventh trip, counting um, the steps involved in transplant and and all. That was my seventh trip. It was the first time I could really get out and explore. Yeah. Uh, First time to the Naval Pier, first time to the... um, Magnificent Mile, did some shopping. A friend, a real good friend went with me and who's very, well, she's a, she's a nurse and she just, you know, she totally understands if I get tired, if, you know, I need to take a break, whatever. So she was the perfect person to take off and explore with. So was it fun exploring the city? It really was. And it it made me kind of sad because I thought, you know, this might be my last visit due to, you know, the issue with Dr. Burton, his sabbatical. Sure. Um, even though the neurologist, Dr. And I can't ever say his name, mm. right? So I call him Dr. Bab. Sure. <laughs> even though Dr. Bab um, said, if you have any problems, all you have to do is, you know, call me. And if I feel like Dr. Burton needs to be consulted um, I'll be talking to him about it too. Well, that's helpful to know that you have that follow-up care. Well, I think that's what everyone is being told. You know, if you have any issues, call Dr. Babb. If he feels like um, Dr. Burt needs to be consulted, he'll he'll get in touch with him and they'll put their heads together and come up with a um, a solution. So. That's helpful. I was treated off study. Were you on? Yes, I was off study too. And the reason why I was off study is because um, I exceeded the age limit. Oh, that's right. Well, yeah. Why don't you remind us why, what led you to pursue HSCT? A lot of things. I think a lot of it was the fact that I wanted to, I wanted a chance. I know I didn't have um, a guarantee, but I wanted a chance to be active again. Uh, you know, just the the least little bit more active I could be would have just been a, a great trade-off. And um, I, I still had a bucket list. Uh, There's still things I wanted to do, places I wanted to go. And even though I was... Um, 65 years old when I went to see Dr. Burt um, 
you know, I didn't feel like my life was over. Sure. <laughs> even though I'd been, even though I had been hit, you know, with this rare one in a million disease, um, I felt like I was, you know, I, I, with a, with the MS, people can tell better by their symptoms. I think when they're in the early stages, I don't, I don't, I don't know for sure if I was in my early stages because I can look back over many years, probably 20, 30 years when weird things happened. And I just blew them off because I just didn't think anything about it. It didn't last. But still, I had very um, mild symptoms of stiff person syndrome, but very distinct symptoms. So I was like progressing and I just thought, I don't want to be in a nursing home in a couple of years. Sure. I, I still want to get out there and live my life. So that was my biggest motivator. And of course, um, wanting to spend time with my grandson, who at the time was going through a lot of issues with drugs. And um, he and I had just had so many adventures outdoors and I was hoping that he would um, be able to recover and we could pick up where we left off. And uh, he was just kind of like my buddy for outdoor stuff. He was always game, you know, for an adventure. So, and of course, um, I guess when you interviewed me, yeah, when you interviewed me which was last a year ago past this past August. Yeah. Around then. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so that was August of 2018 and he, uh, overdosed and died in March. I'm so sorry. So, but that was one of my motivators too, is he was only 20 years old and, you know, I just wanted to, I wanted to spend more time with him and he seemed to be on the road to recovery, even though he had been through rehab several times, but he seemed to be on the road to recovery. And I was so looking forward to that too. That's so tough. So my motivator was basically life. I wanted to live longer because there were things I wanted to do, people I wanted to be with and places I wanted to go. Sure. And so now even two years post, how have things changed for you? Um, definitely the roller coaster is, is, I still feel the roller coaster. I have felt pretty good, uh, the last few weeks and it's because, um, my thyroid has, um, my hypothyroid condition has um, improved immensely, and my uh, symptoms from that, I just didn't have any energy, and I was really concerned about whether or not I was coming out of remission because I just, my lack of energy and my achy joints, and it, it was like all coming back to me, and mm. I was like, oh, no, <laughs> you know. And uh, I happened to go to my primary care doctor and she did some blood work. And I believe your hypothyroid is supposed to be bef between 
2.3 and 5.5 or something or another like that. And when we got my um, results back, my thyroid was 183. Oh, my goodness. She said, no wonder you feel so bad. Right. And I was, I was going to physical therapy and I could barely make it to physical therapy. And my physical therapist was going, you need to eat more protein. You're not eating enough protein and you're working out pretty hard when you're going to physical therapy. So when you leave here, go home and eat some protein. Let's see what that does for you. And I was like, oh yeah, 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 that'll do it. Well, it didn't do it. I mean, I was eating, drinking protein shakes and, uh, and I'm not a big meat eater, but I was eating more meat and, and, um, and it didn't do any good. So I knew there was something else going on. And of course, in the back of my mind was, oh my gosh, please don't tell me. Right. You know, right. I'm coming out of remission. So, uh, when I went to my primary and like I said, she did her some tests and, um, just, you know, your, your basic test, which included a TSH and yeah, it came back sky high and she said, that's your problem. And um, she started me on Synthroid and uh, with thyroid medication, you have to work your way up. So uh, I really didn't notice um, a big change until I hit, I started out at 25 micrograms. And when I hit 75 micrograms, which was a good eight weeks after I was diagnosed, that's when I started noticing an improvement. So that made me feel better because when I went to Chicago, I saw Dr. Babb first. And um, then later on that day, I saw Dr. Burt. And I asked Dr. Babb, I said, you know, I went through this hypothyroid business. And I said, I was so scared that I was on coming out of remission. And he did his typical neuro exam and all. And he says, I just don't really think you are. I don't think you are. He said, I would strongly recommend that you take a magnesium supplement. So I asked him how much, and he said a thousand milligrams. And I said, okay, I'll try it. He said, I bet you, he said, I bet you'll see a difference. And I said, well, also, I said, I'm still, you know, titrating up on this um, synthroid. So hopefully I'll see a difference with that. And I have, I'm, I'm up to 80, 88 micrograms now, and I can tell a huge difference. Isn't that amazing? Um, yeah. And I see my endocrinologist who diagnosed me with Hashimoto's. Yeah. In three weeks. And that will be like, I think it was either seven or eight weeks out from my last in dosage increase. So I'm excited to see what it is. And um, the blood levels of TSH that I've had checked since the original, which was at 183, came down to 124 and then 84. And then my last one was 24. Wow. I don't know why they have fours at the end of all of them. But that's that's huge. Well, and so do you think that having these test results and blood work numbers and even opinions from doctors helps you to calm that voice in your head that that fear yeah, that voice in my head gets pretty bad sometimes oh and man. it's because you read so much and you know you're on facebook and you're hearing about what everybody else is dealing with and 
things that come up for them post-transplant. And I don't sit around and worry about it. But at the same time, I'm cognizant of it. And I want to be able to recognize it if something happens to me. So sure, um, I knew something was wrong when I was going to physical therapy and, and it was all I could do to make it to physical therapy. And of course, my, my worst um, scenario that I thought of was that I was coming out of remission. So, you know, when I found out it was my thyroid, I thought I can live with this. No joke. It's hard to calm that voice though. Oh, it is. And it's because you know too much, you know, and and you read, like I said, you read about what everybody else is dealing with. For me, I think it's more about getting too caught up and too busy and too run down, right? And and not finding time to take care of the way I should. I think it can be the opposite, too, when you have too much time on your hands. Oh, yeah, there you go. Which I usually... I usually go, I flip-flop a lot. I decided to take the Shingrix vaccine because when I went in September to Chicago, Dr. Burt said, come off of the Cyclovir. You've been on it for two years. And I was like, are you sure? And he said, yeah, come off of it. And I said, so should I get the Shingrix vaccine he said it's up to you and I said wait a minute I've heard where you've told people not to get any immunizations I said which I was one of the lucky ones and I kept most of mine I said but you know a month after I came off of a cycle of air last year shingles popped up on my Mm. face yeah and you know, you told me to get back on it and to stay on it until I came back from my second year checkup. So he said, come off of the cyclovir. And he said, it's up to you if you want to try the Shingrix. So I debated and debated and debated. And I just decided to do it. Don't act just the little voice in my head. That's the beauty of getting older is you listen to that voice more and more. And most of the time it's right. It's because you've been down that road. Um, I have no plans on getting the flu vaccine just because that's my gut feeling. Mm. And I don't have to worry about anything else because, like I said, I maintain most of my immunizations. Sure. So did you experience any side effects from the Shingrix? Well, I did it on Friday after I got through running errands for that exact reason because everything I'd read about Shingrix said you will most likely you might run a low grade fever you will have achy joints your arm will be quite sore you may have very mild flu-like um symptoms but um short of an allergic reaction you don't have to worry about it so when i went to i went to walgreens and um Talked to the pharmacist there and, of course, told her my whole, you know, autoimmune life story. And she double-checked on everything, and she said it, it should be fine. So she gave me the injection, 
And I came home. I was just four blocks from the Walgreens. Just I just lived four blocks from the Walgreens. So I came straight home. And I took Tylenol Extra Strength again. Just my gut feeling. I took a thousand milligrams, two two capsules, and um, I felt okay. That was this. The injection was like about four or five o'clock in the afternoon. So about seven o'clock that night, I was I was feeling a little funky, and I thought, no problem. I had taken that Tylenol extra strength earlier, so I took another dose before I went to bed. And when I woke up on Saturday, I felt like I'd been hit by a truck. I wasn't worried. I thought, you know, this is exactly what I read. And I thought, I did this on a Friday with no plans this weekend because, you know, if if I don't feel good, then I don't have to be anywhere. I don't you have can to rest. answer to anyone. And... I love college football, and so that's what I did on Saturday. Um, my arm was very sore. Um, could um, I, I had to really work at using it, um, but it was pretty sore. Um, I didn't take any more Tylenol Extra Strength. That was my last dose was on Saturday morning, and uh, watched my football games and um, ordered a pizza <laughs> and I was just a slug all day and, and I had some joint pain and, uh, you know, I just let it run its course and Sunday morning I woke up and I was like, whoa, I'm a lot better today. Oh, that's good. So I went to Walmart yesterday, didn't have a problem. And today I feel absolutely normal. Wonderful. So, of course, Shingrix involves two doses. You know, the the live shingles vaccine that first came out was just one dose. Um, Shingrix is two. And um, you get the second dosage um, between two and six months after your first one. You can space it out a bit. Well, due to insurance, because I've already satisfied my deductible and all, um, I'm planning on getting it like December 28th, 29th, something like that. There you go. And that's that'll be about two and a half months out. And from what I've read, the second dose is not any different than the first one. You probably experience the same symptoms. So I'll be ready for that. And like I said, I feel, you know, I got the shot on Friday and here it is Monday and I feel completely normal. So I'll get my second dosage before the end of the year because like I said, I've satisfied my deductible. So <clears throat> yeah, you got to start all over. Bless you. Oh, thank you. I've been fighting a head cold the last couple uh, days. I feel bad because I picked it up for my daughter and not that I minimized things, but you know, when she doesn't have a really high fever, you got to try to encourage them to keep going to school. And Oh, yeah. And so now that I feel how miserable she felt, I just you know, feel bad. Yeah, that's one thing. I, I have, I'm so lucky since um, being transplanted. I have not come down with anything. That's wonderful. Other than the BK virus a month after transplant, which just kind of goes along with the transplant 
And, um, but other than that, no cold, no flu, um, no type of, you know, upper respiratory issues. Um, that's wonderful. So what have been other than fracturing my hip in February? (laughs) Well, yeah. So what have been those essential components that have supported your healthy recovery, at least leading up to, I'm still careful. I am still careful who I get around. Sure. Even though I'm two years out, I am still careful who I get around. I have a couple friends that I spend a lot of time around, and one of them happens to be a grandmother who has custody of all five of her grandchildren. And um, they range in age from five to 15. And she is very, uh, she is just so considerate. You know, she'll say, I'm not going to come around because so-and-so has a cold, so-and-so has a cold, and I don't know if I'm going to come down with it in a couple weeks, but, you know, I'm not, and I'm like, thank you. Oh, yeah, that's kind. Or she'll say, well, you know, we had plans this weekend. Uh, One of the kids is got mono. You don't need to come around here. I'm like, thank you. So she's, she's real good about it. And, but like I said, I'm, I'm, I'm real careful about who I get around. And I even thought yesterday when I went to Walmart, I thought "Mm, it's flu season. And I'm hearing the current flu um, strain that they're using is starting out as not being real effective. You know, they have to, they always, when they make the flu shot every year, they use the flu strain from the year before and right. then they guess at the rest of it. Yeah. And so yeah, that's why I don't get it either. So it's just, you know, it's the fact that if you get the flu shot and you still end up getting the flu, you're still it's still not going to be as bad as if you didn't get the flu shot. Does that make sense what I just said? It does. Okay. It doesn't motivate uh, me to get I have the flu shot. Of brain fog still. Yeah, that's how the flu shot works. Um, I'm not getting the flu shot. I haven't had the flu shot in, and when I worked in a hospital, of course, I couldn't refuse it. But right, um, I have worked since 2011, so I haven't gotten it since I quit working. So tell well, us. I may have gotten it. I may have gotten it a couple times, but when all this autoimmune stuff happened, and you know, everything I'd read. I'm still not totally convinced. I think there's other factors that play into whether or not immunizations cause autoimmune reactions. Um, I I haven't read enough about it, but again, I I listened to my gut. And when I went to get my shingles vaccine, she said, do you want to go ahead and get your flu vaccine? I said, no, no, thank you. She kind of looked at me strange. I bet she did. Yeah. I said, no, I'm going for a Shingrix. I said, but I'm skipping the flu. So, um, yeah, I brought up that I, I, um, fractured my hip in February. Yeah. Tell us about that. That was, that was not fun. And that was just a freaky thing. I was doing so well in January that I decided to, uh, take a trip and visit some friends and ex coworkers and uh, had it all arranged for six weeks of um, getting away from the snow of North Carolina. Not that I um, don't like it. I just 
felt like I just felt like traveling. So I uh, got everything arranged and planned on a six week trip to visit friends. And uh, I was staying at a friend's house and I took my dog out for the last time at night to do his business. And I was using a cane and I'd graduated from um, a walker to a cane, from a rollator to a cane and was doing real well. In fact, I only used the cane outside at the time and didn't have to use the cane in the house. And so dog did its business and I had to walk down a long concrete driveway and I made a turn that just kind of threw me off balance a little bit, the least little bit. But what really messed me up is I tried to recover from staggering a little bit and I failed at recovering. Mm. I just went crash down on my right side and I knew even though it didn't hurt when I fell, I know that sounds crazy, but I knew when I tried to move, I knew it was my hip. Oh gosh. And then I tried putting my right arm down to brace myself when I tried moving and I realized my wrist was broke. So you're in the dark at an unfamiliar place. It was just getting dark. It was just getting dark. And the really freaky thing about it is the neighborhood I was in, I I was staying at a friend's house who also had a house on the lake and she happened to be at the lake that day and I was staying at her house and uh, there was a cop that had pulled someone over on the street and I had seen the blue light before I went outside to take the dog and I thought oh somebody's getting a ticket well when I fell down I knew that time of the evening is spaced out as the houses were that I'd be laying out there yelling all night for help so when I saw that cop wrap up giving a ticket to this unfortunate person, right. I thought, you know, if I don't grab him, that's that's my only chance right there is, is grabbing him. So th- this is the funny part. Oh, my gosh. This is the funny part. I thought, I've got to yell at him. I said, help, I've fallen and I can't get up. <laughs> and he didn't hear me. And I oh, had to no. Get- he did I had to say it louder and he oh. was getting he was getting in his patrol car and I said, Help me, please, don't get in your car, help me. And he said, I can hear you, but I can't see you because by then it was it was it was it wasn't dusk, it was pretty dark. He said, I'm getting my flashlight, I'll find you. Oh wow. So I'm laying in the driveway. And the dog's freaking out because he doesn't know what's wrong with me, you know, and I've, I'm holding on to him with a leash. And so when the, when the cop starts, when he sees me, he says, I see you now. And when he sees me and start, he's talking and he's coming towards us. My dog goes nuts. Of course. And he said, does your dog bite? And I said, I can't promise you he won't <laughs> bite, but I can promise you that I can hold him where you can get close enough to me that, you know. I can tell you what's going on. So he was a little bit hesitant. And then when he saw that he was a little mini schnauzer, which, you know, little terriers can be little terrors. Indeed. Yeah. And um, 
So I told him, and he says, well, I'm going to call you an ambulance. And um, he said, what can I do for you? And I said, do you mind taking the dog in the house? And I said, my purse and my phone is sitting on the kitchen table. And I said, don't give me a phone lecture. And um, if you can just lock the door behind you, then I'll call my friend and tell her what's happened. And she can come and get the dog. She's about an hour and a half away. And I said, she can come get the dog and take care of my dog. And I said, I can call my family and let them know what's happened. So he did that and he did real good. He, he was, he was very careful with the dog and um, put the dog inside the house and grabbed my person phone, locked the door and went to his patrol car and got a wedge. I don't know what they use it for, but um, maybe for people that fall in driveways and break their hips. <laughs> I don't know, but he got a wedge and put it under my head and um, I was in a good bit of pain and he called the ambulance. And when they got there, I'm like the nurse and the, the nurse in me takes over. And I said, okay, where's your backboard? And they said, well, we don't use backboards anymore because they've changed that rule that, um, you know, sometimes you can do more damage than good, especially if it's a neurological issue. And I said, I need a backboard for this hip. And he said, well, we can't justify it. And I said, okay, so how do you guys plan on getting me up without hurting me? So what they did was they, they, they did a real good job. They um, got a real thick, large blanket out of the ambulance and they rolled it and they rolled me over it and then used it kind of like a, um, a sling, you know, but when they picked me up, I'm sure the people at the end of the street heard me. I bet. Oh, my goodness. And they put me in the ambulance. And um, so when they got me in the ambulance, I said, okay, what are you going to do about my wrist? And they said, hmm, um, we're probably just going to leave it alone until we get you get you to the ER, which we were just right, in an X-ray. The ER. yeah. And I said, oh, no. I said, you're going to stabilize this somewhere yeah. because yeah. – Somehow, some way, you're going to stabilize this. And I get to looking in their um, cabinet, and I said, you've got an ace bandage in there. And I see a couple other things you could use. I said, get that four-inch ace bandage. And I said, let's wrap and stabilize this wrist. And he looked at me real funny, and I said, get it. <laughs> and he got it, and... um we wrapped it up and it made it so much better because actually my, since it was my right wrist and my right hip, I was having to kind of use that broken wrist to stabilize my leg too, which I had my leg flexed. It was the only way I could hold it and not be in pain. I'll never forget when we got off the interstate that led to the hospital, uh, it was one of those exits that was a complete circle. <laughs> they made that circle. I was like rolling over. They had me strapped down and everything, you know, on the stretcher and, and all. But still, I felt that. And that was a little bit painful. And so they take me into the emergency room. And it, it was a crazy wild circus in the emergency room. It was a medical center, a teaching hospital. So, you know, they're notorious for being crazy places. 
and um, as they're rolling me down the hall, they're t- the one of the nurses was telling them which um, which area to take me to, and as soon as they rolled me in, there was a nurse that walked up to me, and I said, I want a Foley catheter, and um, I want something for pain, and I said, I am prone to blood clots. You better give me a blood thinner starting right now. <laughs> And they're looking at me like, who are you? you? Yeah. And the doctor came in. She says, what else can we do for you? I said, give me something for pain. Because I know you guys are fixing to send me to x-ray. And I said, I'm going to be like screaming the whole time. Yeah. I can't imagine like even just being rolled around for the x-ray. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Even the rolling around. So, yeah, she they did everything I told them to do and, um, they did great. And, um, teachers can be learners. Yeah. She gave me morphine and I was so glad because when they did take me to x-ray, I I barely remember it. Um, it it wasn't that bad. And, um, and it was IV, so it took effect immediately. And, um, and so how soon um, did they operate? Uh, since it's a teaching hospital, you see residents to begin with. And the um, the orthopedic resident came around and um, he explained to me, he said, you know, you're going to have to have surgery. And he said, at your age, he said, most of these hip replacements only last 10 years. He said, so you would have the option of having a partial or a full replacement. I said, well, give me the pros and cons of both. He said, I'm not going to give you pros and cons. I'm going to give you my, um, based on my experience, what I think you should have. He said, I think you should get a full replacement. And I said, so that involves a full incision versus with a partial um, hip replacement. They do an anterior approach, which means they kind of go through your groin. He said, um, no, we're going to cut you from, you know, the side of your leg all the way through your gluteus maximus. And I'm like going, God. And they did. I got like about an eight inch scar in my right butt cheek still doesn't look right. Mm. And it's been eight months. And so how's recovery from that been going? Um, What they didn't consider especially physical therapy, which was in hospital physical therapy. I spent uh, three weeks in the hospital in their physical therapy portion. And I couldn't get them to understand how stiff person syndrome, which is, you know, based on antibodies that attack your muscles, Mm -hmm. that my quadriceps were very, very weak just from stiff person syndrome. They didn't get it. They didn't understand it. They didn't want to do their homework either. I understand because they are like bombarded for eight, 10, some of them work 12 hour shifts a day and they're not going to go home and read up on stiff person syndrome. That's so rare, right? So they didn't understand that my muscles in my legs been damaged from stiff person syndrome. So when they started PT on me, they got very aggravated with me because they felt like I wasn't progressing like I should. And I kept telling them why I thought I wasn't progressing. And it was because of my stiff persons. 
And I just couldn't get him to understand that. So because Medicare covers, I'm covered by Medicare, and because Medicare calls the shots on how long you stay in the hospital, they knew they had to come up with good results by the time my time was up. Because like I said, Medicare says, mm, right. she only needs to be in there for three weeks. We've decided you can be done. Yeah. So my first week, I was uh, I didn't do well in physical therapy at all. I did so bad that at the end of that first week, my physical therapist um, wanted a consult from the cognitive therapy oh, goodness. department. And I did not know this until I was back in my room and the cognitive therapist therapist comes in and she says hi I'm, I forget her name so and so and she says well you've gotten a consult to um, put you through some um, testing and I'm like oh what for and she explained everything and I thought I didn't think it I said it to her I said that's what they do to dementia patients Alzheimer's patients she said you're right I said well that's not my problem and she said, well, your physical therapist feels like you're having a hard time grasping what you need to do to mm. get over this hump. And I'm like, I can't believe this. I said, okay, that's fine. Let's go for it. And she told me, well, it's it's not right now. She said, um, they'll bring you to my office because I have things in my office that, you know, little, little things that you have to do. And I said, that's fine. Okay. So I went and I passed with you know, of course, I, I, I did just fine. And she said, there's, there's nothing wrong with you. I said, well, that's good. I didn't say anything to my physical therapist about it, but I decided that weekend, um, after my first week of physical therapy, that I would make an effort to push myself a little bit further in the room, when a nurse was in the room, because they have a big rule is don't get up before you call, you know. So I, I pushed myself a little bit more, and I realized that a lot of my issues, and I was kind of surprised that they didn't talk to me about this, was just my paranoia of falling again. Sure. You know, I was just being very, very, very careful because I was afraid of falling again. How do you and, even get um, over that? I'm still not over it. Yeah. It's just, it's a trauma that's always in the back of your head. Mm. And um, I'm doing a whole lot better. Um, I did have a slow recovery, but again, I'm, I'm convinced, even though they didn't understand it, I'm convinced that it's because of my stiff persons and, you know, because it, HSCT didn't cure me and only stopped progression, but right. the damage is done. Right. Just like with MS, the damage is done. And, right. You know, and any, hard any to little, recover. Pardon? Hard to recover. And then, yeah, yeah, any setback, like you're saying. And stiff persons affected my quadriceps more than any other muscles in my body, right behind my um, paraspinal, which is the muscles in between your spine in the back. Um, but my quads are just they're, they're I don't want to say they're useless, but whenever I get up from a chair, if it doesn't have um, 
arms on the chair, I pretty much can't get up. I have to push off of something to get up. When I sit on the toilet, I have to push off something to get up. I still have to do that. Even though I've been going through physical therapy before my fall, I was a year and a half into physical therapy. And we just, um, after my hip replacement, when I went for my six weeks checkup, I talked to the orthopedic surgeon that did my surgery and we were talking about physical therapy and what I could do at the gym and what I couldn't do. And he just busted my bubble when he said, you stay off of that leg press. And mm. I said, no, that's my favorite. And I said, how else am I going to improve the Your strength quads, of my yeah. quads? And he said, let me tell you something. I can't tell you the people that have, and he said, a lot of people younger than you, he said, that have gone back into the gym, got onto that leg press, and have, and have promised me that they wouldn't push more than 80 to 100 pounds. And he said, I can tell you're, you're one of them. You're going to be pushing yourself. And he said, I'll tell you right now, he said, that hip will pop right out and mm. you'll be right back here. Ouch. And I'm like, okay. Yeah, that's on. a good reason. <laughs> I said, but that's my favorite machine. I said, I, it just, it builds my confidence up so much. And before I broke my hip, I was up to 140 pounds, which is not a lot for probably most guys. But for me, I started out at 60 and I was up to 140 pounds. And I was feeling, you know, my my quads getting stronger. And so this hip business just, it literally threw me back recovery-wise from transplant, I'd say close to a year. Sure. That's so frustrating. Yeah. At least I'm frustrated for you. I'm sorry. I don't know how you feel about it. It, it was, and right now, you know, I told you that. Before I fell, I was not using any um, walking aid in the house. But when I went outside, I'd use the cane. Now I'm using the cane in the house and I'm still using the um, rollator outside of the house. Uh, you don't want to go through this again. Well, I'm paranoid. Yeah. You know, I'm just, I just, you know, I can drive like a maniac. I don't have a problem driving. Sure. It's very different from walking. It is. It really, truly uh, is. Thank God I can drive, you know, but thank I, I'm just, I'm just, you know, you're constantly, when something happens like that, you're constantly looking at the ground at what's going to trip you up because you just can't afford it. I can't afford to go through all that again. I just can't mentally, physically, I cannot go through that again. Mm. I can honestly say a fractured hip is worse than HSCT. In Interesting. my case, it was. Mentally and physically. Sure. So, and well, I think I posted on Facebook when everybody wanted to know how I was doing after my first few days after my hip. I said, let me tell you what. I said, breaking your hip is a whole lot worse than childbirth. And I said, I gave birth naturally to a 10-pound, 10 10-ouncer. 10 and I said, it was nothing like this oh, hip wow. business. Wow. <laughs> wow. Well, and what's so inspiring about you, I think, is just all of your medical knowledge, certainly, but 
just how well you know your body and how well you listen and really tune in. I think in it's too. the key to everything. Mm. I, I really do. I think reading so much about autoimmune diseases and educating myself so much about HSCT and naturally, you know, my nursing experience, 35 years. And I did a lot of, I worked in a lot of different areas. Um, I just, I feel bad because I can think of patients that I've had in the past that I got a little bit irritated with, you know, and, and now I'm so much more empathetic. And I understand now what what a lot of them went through. Um, you know, I was just trying to do my job. and Sure. And it's not like it was just a job, but... Um, you know, you have um, you have a lot of responsibilities that you have to get done within a certain amount of time when you work in a um, situation like that. And that's what's always behind, I think, any nurse that um, might get a little short with a patient or might not be too um, empathetic. But you know, I've been on the other side of the fence now and, and I never was sick hardly ever until stiff person hit me. And so it's, it's really changed me as far as being understanding. Um, I have a friend that has sarcoidosis. It's a pretty, it's a pretty rough autoimmune diseases. They develop like these lesions, not only on their skin, but on their lungs, on their organs. And Yikes. it it creates scar tissue, which once it turns into scar tissue, it no longer functions. So, you know, it happens if your lungs, you know, just start scarring up. Um, she can't be around any type of air, you know, a, a, a lack of air quality, any kind of environment like that. Um, and even she's dis- discovered that if someone is a smoker, even if they have smoked outside, just coming in and it clinging to their clothes. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah, that bothers her. But um, she had, uh, I talked to her this weekend, she had uh, a hip fracture also, but it was AVN. Avascular necrosis. And, you know, I just told her my experience. I said, you, you won't hurt as bad as I did. I said, because the, the, my surgeon explained to me when I complained, why wasn't I recovering as fast as other um, hip replacement patients that I had seen? And he said, because yours was dramatic and theirs was due to disease. And he said, most diseased um, hip replacements feel better after surgery than they did before surgery. He said, in your case, you know, he said it was entirely different. You were okay before surgery, but it was traumatic before your break. And he said, after your break is when the trauma occurred. And he said, there's just a big difference in people that have arthritis or have AVN or whatever, you know, he said they had that pain for, for weeks and months. And, um, when they have their surgery, they're like, Oh man, 
relief. Yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm so much better. And in a couple of days, they're up and walking down the hall. And it took me two weeks to walk down the hall. So, yeah, I was kind of I was kind of jealous of those patients. But well, it um, makes sense. So when you think about just the effect that trauma has on the body. Yeah, because it's not only physical, it's mental. Too. Absolutely. And I was talking with this friend and, you know, I was telling her, I said, you know, it mentally it's going to bother you, too, because I, I said, I'm sure you're like me. You're thinking, you know, it's it's bad enough having an autoimmune disease and then you got to deal with this, too. So, and of course, when I was recovering, I was, I was very concerned from a mental standpoint, if that would affect me, you know, and possibly cause me to go into remission, come out of remission. I'm sorry. Uh, I just, I just tried to be real careful and do my exercises and my Recovery was slower than it should be, but at five weeks post um, hip replacement, I drove from North Carolina to Alabama. Don't ask me how I did it. I couldn't get out of the car when I got there. I bet. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) They had to help me. I could barely walk. Stiffness. I'm laughing about it because I'm I'm just so hard-headed, you know. That's just, uh, yeah, I mean, that's stiffness at a different level. Oh, I was stiff. And I and I believe it was a combination of, you know, the autoimmune aspect and the surgery aspect. And, and my surgeon okayed it. The drive. He did, he did say, stop a couple times. And I was like, I was on a mission, you know, I was going to, I should have stopped. Yeah, Especially maybe every for hour. The, <laughs> I was on a blood thinner. He made me stay on a blood thinner for um, three months. And, um, you know, I was like, oh, that blood thinner will take care of me. You know, I'm I'm not going to stop and worry about walking around. And, you know, I want to get there. Well, you've just gone through so much, so many challenges, especially mentally. This year's been rough. Yeah. Um, And... I think somebody said, God, it's a wonder you're not rolled up in a little ball. Well, I just, I'm curious, how do you support yourself and, and your mental health? You know, health I'm not well-being? a real religious person. I'm spiritual, but I'm not religious. And, you know, a lot of people will tell me, well, I prayed a lot. I didn't pray a lot, but I talked to God a lot. And I just said, just, just get me through this, especially with my grandson, you know, that, Sure. You know, even though that was mental, it it still hurt worse out of everything I went through with, you know, fracturing my hip and finding about about my thyroid and wondering if I was coming out of remission. And and um, yeah, losing my grandson was the hardest part about this past year. And uh, I'm the type of person that. I, I'm, I'm very strong-willed, I'm hard-headed, and I've never been to therapy, but I've finally thrown in the towel, and my first therapy session is next week. Oh, so yeah. we're going to talk, talk about all this, and I'm sure we'll be talking about a lot of other things. <laughs> well, there's a lot going on in your life, right? Yeah, and... It's not like 
you know, I never said I needed it. I can be honest and say that what I dread about therapy the most is things that happened years ago that I know was traumatic for me. My parents' divorce, um, my mom getting custody of me and three years later, my dad getting custody of me and my dad being remarried and my stepmother and I didn't get to get along. And, you know, just, I was just at a very impressionable age when all that business happened. And I know that all of that is going to be dredged up and I kind of dread it because I'm over it. I'm past it. I don't mean, I don't know if I want to talk about all that. Well then maybe my life. Yeah. Maybe it doesn't need to come up. Well, I don't know if I'll have that choice because I'll be honest. I, 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 think it has a lot to do with, you know, it, it, it molded and shaped me into the person I am today. I mean, how can it not? You can look at it from a perspective when you're an adult that, you know, it happened to a lot of other kids too when they were that age, but everybody's emotional makeup is different. So different. You know, some, some kids handle it, you know, a lot better, a lot easily, easier. And, my parents' divorce was not amicable at, at all, and even though they were divorced, you know, the arguing and the back-and-forth business went on for years afterwards, well into my teens. And so, yeah, I'm not looking forward to all that business, but I'm looking forward to talking about, you know, the paranoia I have about falling again. I've got to get over that. I have got to get over that because here I am eight months out and, well, really, I'm nine months out now. Now, February 1st? No, I'm not. This October? Yeah, I'm not. I'm eight months out. Nine months out. And um, I've got to get over this paranoia of falling and, and how that's all going to be worked out. I have you fallen know. since? Come close to it a couple times. Mm. And it's because I let down my guard. Sure. And, um, no, I don't know what I'd do if I'd fall again. I'd be freaking out if I fell again. I, I don't plan on falling ever again. And whatever I can do to keep that from happening, which um, I haven't resumed physical therapy since I've moved. And that's because I've had so much to deal with with the move that um, – and also, I've been doing my homework of which physical therapy service I wanted to sure. use and have been asking a lot of friends and um, people that I used to work with. And It'd be um, nice if so you found I, someone that didn't question yes, your mental I capacity. <laughs> and what they told me is, um, you know, there's a lot of physical therapy places that don't require a referral, but this particular one that was highly recommended does require a referral. So I've been to, since I've made the move, I've been to, well, I've seen Dr. Burt. I've been to the neurologist. I've been to the um, endocrinologist. Um, I've been to the gynecologist but I haven't been to a primary and I have found a primary and I have an appointment on Wednesday with her and um 
so I have to have a, a referral from my primary. So as soon as I get that, and I imagine I'll probably start next week. And from what I understand, this particular um, physical therapy place, they they approach physical therapy a little bit different, you know, in a positive way, unlike what I'm used to. And they definitely believe in the mind-body connection and in neuroplasticity. So it's going to be interesting. And um, like I said, that's going to start next week. Yeah, I hope they so are very supportive of you in this. So physical therapy next week and also next week starts um, mental health therapy. You know, and, that body-mind um, connection is yep. something we all need to get to know better. I've just, I've read up so much about it and... I can honestly say that I did, there was a time when I just didn't think it was that, that, you know, there wasn't that much of a connection, but, you know, I've just been through so much that I know there is now. Oh, sure. And it's just like, you know, post-transplant, like they tell you, you know, keep your stress level down because it really affects your recovery. So much. And I have learned that. So of all of these resources that you've learned from, are there any that you might recommend to others, especially anyone new, newly diagnosed with stiff person syndrome or just battling autoimmune disease? I think HSCT in itself is trauma for a lot of people. And for that reason, I would not suggest waiting two years to go to therapy for that. I would find somebody right off the bat because the roller coaster. You're going to have your good days, your bad days. You're going to have your de- your depression phases. You're going to have, you know, your good times. Um, you're going to have family that don't understand your recovery, which can be frustrating. They thought I had the cure. And why wasn't I just, you know, out jumping rope? Mm. You know, they just didn't, they misunderstood. And I honestly don't think it's anything I said. It's just. When you don't live it, you don't get it. That's my motto. I say that to so many people when, you know, they ask me, what's up? How you doing? Well, you know, this, that, and the other. I thought, I thought you were cured. And I'm like, no, it wasn't a cure. It stopped the progression. And, you know, I have a chance to gain back a lot of things. It's going to be a lot of hard work. But I have a chance to gain back. And I said, Granted, my age will have a lot to do with it, and I truly believe in that, and I I don't let it stand in my way. I mean, I just turned 68 in September, and I don't let it stand in my way, but um, realistically, you know, I know my age greatly affects my recovery because, you know, You see a lot younger people in their 20s and 30s and 40s who have been through transplant and their recovery seems to be easier. So, um, you know, I I have aches and pains. um, And I honestly don't think it's so much the roller coaster as I do. I just like my bones. I was I was just so active, you know, in my twenties, thirties, forties, and fifties, and um, 
Plus, I worked on my feet all my life. Mm, you know, sure. people don't realize it, but there's concrete underneath those hospital floors. Right. And uh, so my body's had a lot of wear and tear, and I really think that plays a big part, too. Sure. So last time. But we... Yeah, that's it. That's the biggest thing I think I would recommend. Hindsight being 2020 is even though you think you don't need it, talk to somebody. Talk to um, a therapist, a, a, a mental health person, and um, because you will have days that you need to talk to somebody. And unfortunately, a family member is not going to understand. Even a good friend's not going to understand. And you need a professional to an unbiased person to to really give you, um, you know, some tools to work with. There you go. Yeah. Tools. Tools. Mental health tools. Well, because it is so easy to have a depressed day and let that negative narrative just ruminate in your mind. Yes. Rumination. I have bad rumination at night when I go to bed. (laughs) I had a, I had to go through a, um, they call it not a sleep disorder, but a sleep. Like the sleep study. Sleep study. Mm-hmm. And um, the doctor that went over my results afterwards, uh, this was before transplant. I went through a sleep study. And um, the doctor I talked to, he was saying, what, what keeps you from going to sleep at night? And I said, I play out my whole life. In my mind, every night when yeah. I go to bed, he said, that's rumination. Mm. And I said, I do. I said, I replay it. I said, what if I'd done this? What if I'd done that? Well, maybe if I do this next time. And what about so-and-so and so-and-so that I'm, you know, this person, that person that maybe I don't have a good relationship with? What can I do to make this better? You know, I just go over and over and over. And he said, the best thing you can do, he said, which I didn't agree with him. But he said, write it all down before you go to bed. All your worries, write write all your worries down on a piece of paper so that when you go to bed, you don't have to think about it. In the morning, you can deal with it. Ha, ha, ha. It didn't work for me. No. No, it didn't. Writing them all down did not work for me. What worked for me was my own little trick that I did. And it's kind of like counting sheep, I think. I would... um go to bed and I would do relaxation, breathing, relaxation exercises. I'd breathe in, you know, through my nose as deep as I could. And I'd blow out like I was blowing out a candle. And when I would blow out, I'd say, sleep. And I'd breathe in. And when I'd blow out, sleep. And I just kept saying that over and over and over. And I'd go to sleep. There you go. You do have to find what works for you, right? Yeah. And every once in a while, I'd find myself getting off track, you know, and I'd go back to that deep breathing and say, sleep. 
So yeah, it worked for me. Hopefully, so I still have a lot to work on. Sure, we all do. I still don't think the roller coaster is over. I've had, you know, I've had something jump in, jump in in front of my roller coaster. I've had several things jump in front yeah, of my roller have. coaster. Um, but uh, even though neurologist told me that this hip business kind of threw me back a whole year as far as my physical improvement. Um, I accepted that and I knew that that was no surprise. I mean, I, I could tell that it threw me back. So that's my goal for the next year. And I'm a, I, I haven't decided if I'm going back to Chicago with Dr. Burt being gone. Um, I really like Dr. Help me say it. Bat, Baba Labanov? Uh, I think it's Balabanov, but I'm not sure. Balabanov. I just call him Dr. Bab. I'm, I don't yeah, say I'm Dr. Not... B because a lot of people call Dr. Burt Dr. Oh, B. Right. So I call him Dr. Bab. Yeah, I'm not positive. And um, I may go see him. I just figure I'll know within the next few months if I need to go see him. And at the same time, I know I don't need to wait too long because like everybody else, he's booked out. Sure. So um, if I do go back to Chicago, um, I'll go to him, even though I really like my um, neurologist at Emory, but he's not directly connected to the HSCT world you know, sure. story, sure. even though he was fully supportive of me getting HSCT. Good. He, he's just not as tuned in as Dr. Babb would be. Sure. That makes sense. So you... that's my plan is to keep on working, keep on trudging along, keep on um, working towards getting to be the best that I feel like I can be. And um, if I can get over this paranoia of falling again, I think that'll help me tremendously. Oh, I agree. And, and I hope that this new type of physical therapy, I hope that helps So. You know, I, I know there's those, there's few and far between. There are those people that have been transplanted and get through the roller coaster and they pick up life and, and yeah, they do have some minor deficits, but they're very, um, they're dealing with it, but you know, it, it definitely changed their life. And then there's us that are in between and unfortunately there's the non-responders. So we all, I think all of us, you know, we are constantly um, working towards getting better, even the non-responders. Sure. Living a best life, right? Yeah. So what are you grateful for about your experience with HSCT? What am I grateful for? Um, I'm grateful for the few people that totally understand what I'm going through. And unfortunately, mm. those people happen to have autoimmune diseases themselves. Mm. I think that plays a big part in it. Um, I hate that they're affected too, but I'm so grateful for them because we bounce stuff off of each other all the time. I have got like at least four or five people like that. I'm so grateful for them. That's good to have a community of support. Yeah, and what's really interesting is that only one of them has had tra transplant. The others have not had a transplant, and they have um, 
MS, they have myasthenia gravis, they have sarcoidosis, and stiff persons. Yeah, I've got one friend who has, um, she's seriously considering transplant. Um, and actually, she's talking to Mayo in Rochester. And she said, they didn't tell her no. They said, give us just a little bit more time. That's and, awesome. Yeah. And I've heard rumors that they're consulting with Dr. Burt. It would be interesting to track or parallel Dr. Burt on his voyage across what the I country. What I have heard, and it's all secondhand information. Naturally, I didn't hear it from him because he's not going to tell you. Right. But um, I've heard that he's going to certain hospitals where he's going to be like a consultant while they, while the oh, immunologist yeah. at that particular hospital and the neurologist and whoever all is involved um, are going to be using his protocol and uh, doing their first. And in some cases, it won't be their first, but they'll be performing HSCT with Dr. Burt kind of like supervising or not so much supervising, but just being a consultant. That's what I've heard. Sure. And I've heard that there's like two or three people that are in the wings that are waiting to um, have HSCT. And um, one of them has stiff persons. So I'm really, and I know her real well, so I'm really anxious to see what's going to happen. She's going to Mayo. So hopefully it works out. Yeah. It's going to be interesting. So, you know, for Dr. Bird, it's a, it's like not a roller coaster, but it's a whole new, you know, experience for him too. I, Indeed. I can't help but think that in some teeny tiny place in his brain, he's like, I'm glad to be moving on. Well, it's just he's, so... put, he's put so much time and effort and work. Yes. He spent so much of his life. He deserves to be able to get out there and and spread this knowledge, spread this experience. And of course, I keep hearing, you know, the more hospitals perform this procedure, the more likely insurance companies are going to pay for it because they're going to get bombarded. And I'm sure that's one of the main goals of his. Possibly. I mean, if anything, he has proven the effectiveness of HSCT, right? That it should be considered a frontline standard of care for patients with autoimmune disease. Yeah, especially with MS, because he's had the most success with MS. It will definitely be interesting to see what happens over the next year. I agree. And with you, right, and your recovery and all that you're doing to strengthen yourself, it would be inter- it would be so wonderful to check in with you in a year and see where you are sure. three years I'll post HSCT. <laughs> and I hope within a year I'm over this hump that threw me back a year. Um, next year is going to be interesting. Uh, next year in my life is going to be interesting. Yeah. Um, and I can honestly say that, you know, um, even though I'm still paranoid about falling, I'm to the point now that my, my mind's really focused on working even harder, you know, to recover. And um, that's my plan. I mean, what what else can you 
think about, but to get better. Right. And think of things that will contribute to getting better. So, yeah, this next year is going to be interesting. Um, getting over my falling paranoia, getting back into physical therapy because I've been away from it for a good five months, I guess. Yeah, five months. And I can tell a difference. So get, getting physical therapy and starting mental health um, sessions and that's good support. And, uh, That's a holistic way to care for your body and and continue yeah. on the recovery path. Yeah. And even though I know I should have started the mental health business a long time ago, um, I can honestly say that the death of my grandson is what really made me realize that I need to talk to somebody. Sure. That's so hard. So, yep. Thank he you for sharing. He was my one and only grandchild. Oh, my goodness. It's hard. And he was beautiful. Yeah. Thank you for sharing him with us. Thanks. Well, yeah, I mean, it's that, um, the intention to be well, right? Is right. So Mentally easy. and physically. Yes. It's so easy for us to talk about, right? But to actually go take action, actionable steps to make that happen and support ourselves. And you have to. It's, so it's so not going to happen on its own. No, it's so important. And and you have to, you have to be able to accept the fact that, um, you know, you may not do it perfect, and you may fail. But I mean, I failed in a lot of things during my lifetime. Sure. And how, you know, that's how we learn. I made it. I made it. It didn't. It didn't kill me. It. You know, I learned from it. I've always felt like. Out of all the mistakes I've made, that's why I appreciate so much that inner voice, because that inner voice comes from all those mistakes I made. If you don't learn from your mistakes, now, if it's a brand new mistake, that's different. Sure. Sure. <laughs> Thank you for all of these important reminders to listen to ourselves, to seek out support, regardless of what you're battling in life, right? To just... It's find essential. those, yeah, find those friends, find the community, find the mental health professional, find the physical yeah. therapist, find support to help you along your way. We, no one, no human should be at this alone. No human should be, but unfortunately, so many are people out there that are, are so isolated, Yeah, especially elderly people. Now I'm not elderly. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> Good for you for seeking out all the support of your community and finding that new place in your new community. I hope you're well on your way to settling into your new home. Sometimes you just, you know, there just comes a time where you just have to reinvent. You have to reinvent your life. You know, you don't have to change yourself, but you just have to reinvent you know, how you're going to take those steps. And it's just a constant, um, you know, how am I going to deal with this? How am I going to deal with that? Everybody, I think, is like that. And it takes courage because a lot of things, you know, there's that, there's that unknown aspect. And sometimes you just have to jump in there with two feet. Embrace the unknown. Mm-hmm. Gotta get back on that horse. You'll be there. Sure. 
you're making it happen. And that's what matters. Yep. All the best to you and continued health and wellness and making your way on this path of recovery. Thanks, Jan. Yeah, thank you, Denise. I enjoy connecting with you. You too. Have a great day. Oh, you enjoy a beautiful rest of the day. Be sure to visit our website, hsctwarriorspodcast.com, where you can find notes from today's episode, submit ideas or feedback, and access the latest HSCT research and resources. Special thanks to musical genius Bill Allitzelzer for sharing his superpowers to create the soundtrack, edit, and produce the audio to make this podcast possible. You can find us both when you subscribe on SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you find your podcasts. It's been great to connect with warriors worldwide, and we would love to hear from you about how the podcast has helped your journey with autoimmune disease. Take a moment, share your story. We'd love to hear from you. And in the meantime, we hope you'll tune in next Wednesday for another episode highlighting another HSCT warrior. Until then, be a snowflake and embrace your superpowers. Be kind. Be well.